now I've got a whole jumble of points here. Too. <laughs> Let me just um, begin by saying, uh, raising the, you know, you, you, you said about capitalism, class struggle crisis. So very quickly, I would say, you know, maybe one day we should talk about capitalism and its crisis because I have a neat little table and we could just talk about that because ex explaining that would be uh, itself quite uh, an interesting thing. But I think of capitalism generating crisis both in its core uh, realms of value production and the realization of that value, but then also in a number of other realms that are indispensable to the existence of capitalism, namely money, credit, state, uh, inter interstate relations, and of course the relation between uh, between a, any uh, 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 any capitalist economy and the environment, and we can go through all of them because all of these become sources of crisis, and they crises take two different forms. You know, they take forms having to do with exploitation, that is interclass relations, what I call a vertical contradictions, and horizontal contradictions having to do with relations among capitalists and between capitalist countries. But leave that aside for now. But it is really interesting. And so we can talk about all sorts of crises from, you know, tendency of rate of profit to fall, demand, all the way up to environmental and ecological crises. But precisely because capitalism is crisis prone, in fact, it's not just about, it, it tends to generate not just class struggle, which of course it generates, but it also generates international struggle. It generates a struggle between the dominant countries that want to retain their dominance, want to retain their imperial capacities, and those countries that are capable and able, that are able and willing to resist. And that has historically included capitalist countries. But what we have also seen is that starting in 1917, the socialist challenge has been the most powerful. And what does that tell you? And what, uh, yeah, what does that tell you? In one sense, what that tells you is that capitalism, because it requires, a, a, you know, it can only give economic development to a core of the of the world, a capitalist world, which then must dominate the rest of the world, the periphery of the capitalist economy, if we may use world systems terminology, keep it in a subordinated position so that they can continue to have their wealth, etc. Because of that, much of the periphery has actually no serious investment in capitalism unless people are really masochistic and they think that they have to, you know, subordinate themselves to the welfare of other people. No, they don't think so. So historically, that's why capitalism has seen a continuing unending series of anti-capitalist revolutions occurring, not in the core where some people thought capitalist revolutions against capitalism would first occur, but precisely in the periphery. And I think also as a result of this, and again, this is this is completely uh, along uh, a part of a Marxist analysis. If you think about it, for after 300 years, or whatever you however long you think capitalism has been in existence, what does capital have to show for itself, that its core consists of nothing much more than the original imperialist core that already existed in 1914, yeah, before we got into the 30 years crisis. So in a sense, it's barely expanded since then. And what does that tell you? It tells you that what capitalism has to offer to the rest of the world, to the world outside the core imperialist countries is so shoddy that there is going, there is never going to be any cessation to revolts against capitalism. I, I should also say one other thing al alongside this. You know, if you think about it, if you, if, 
some of you will have read the manifesto. The manifesto was the communist manifesto, I mean. The communist manifesto was written in 1848. In 1848, capitalism was only beginning to get going. Right, The number of workers in Europe would have probably been less than a million or something. So, And yet Marx and Engels were arguing. Essentially, or let me rephrase that. Yet the manifesto was a call to end capitalism. Essentially, as we put it in the manifesto, to smother it in its European cradle. You know, this idea that some Marxists have that somehow we have to all wait until capitalism has spread all over the world and developed the productive forces all over the world. And only then we can have a worldwide socialist revolution. This is rubbish. It's never the capitalism is, is not able to develop the forces of production, even in its homeland these days, where it is languishing in its in a financialized form that has left the productive economy. Uh, 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 quite debilitated. So it's not even able to do it in its homelands. It's not going to do it in the peripheries. In the peripheries, the only way in which you can have uh, a reasonable development, uh, which is reasonably just, etc., is to follow some kind of socialistic path. And in many ways, China is a decent model uh, uh, for for many countries, it's not a it's not a model. I should perhaps say model, but China, the Chinese example, should treat. Um, people a great deal. So, so, so those were at least some of the points that I felt I should make about this. Because you know, to come back to Ukraine, essentially, this is a war between the, uh, as I say, those countries that have thrown in their lot with a decaying, financialized, neoliberal American leadership, and the rest of the world. And by the way, the more this wears on, we are also going to see something else. Already you see in the French elections, in the different pressures that is pulling Olaf Scholz one way and uh, another way, that actually the uh, the much trumpeted unity of NATO, uh, allegedly, you know, the claim that they have all somehow come together to impose sanctions on Russia is complete fiction. Each country is is, is is imposing the sanctions that are convenient to them. Gas is still flowing from Russia to Europe through pipelines in Ukraine. So in that sense, again, you know, uh, I think, Danny, you were saying earlier, and I'll, I'll end my, my remarks for now here, but you were saying earlier that, you know, uh, uh, capitalism itself is getting incoherent. I, I think this is something we have to take very seriously. You know, the idea that somehow the Americans have a plan that they are pursuing. No, I think the Americans have some sort of a memory of a plan. But even in the United States, different elements of capitalism are pulling in different directions. So I would say that capitalism is also increasingly co incoherent.